Computer, initialize Holosuite. Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 14, Whispers. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and you should find us and follow us because we have a lot of great stuff planned for you as we continue to do all of these seasons, not to mention covering all things Trek as it kind of weaves itself in. A lot of new stuff coming um, that we're going to have fun with, and you're really only going to get access to that through the social media. So Facebook, Twitter, all those, come at us. Anyway, um, before we get started with our episode tonight again, Whispers, we're going to jump right into updates about ourselves. So David, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, looking forward to this week. Uh, my sister-in-law is having a birthday party, and she's going to do a uh, masquerade party murder mis- murder mystery thing. Uh, I think I might have mentioned that last week that it's coming up, but um, I went out today to buy the mask that all my character will wear, and I found this jester mask that'll be perfect for my comedian character. I think you know, so I was real happy to find that. Um, I'm, I'm not one of those people who like goes around looking for jokes. I'm not one of those people who like makes puns all the time, but my character is just someone who makes puns and he has was, a joke I was going to say, and... so your, your character is the exact opposite of you? What, what's going on? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because my sister is actually very much the person who loves to make puns. So it's like I got my character, my sister's character in some ways. Um, but it's been fun. I've already started kind of, you know, writing down jokes in a little book, in a little booklet that in the, in the character description, he's, it, it says that the character has a, a book of jokes on him all the time. So I'll have that with me. Um, but I, I definitely intend to like, while I'm at work, if I have da- down, downtime, just to like practice, you know, telling some jokes and maybe, uh, re- listen to a, a, you know, a, a comedian's bit and, you know, re- learn the bit. Uh, long enough to do the the, the bit, um, but yeah, that's that'll be. I'll have an update for you by this time next week. So well, uh, you're at the appropriate age too, where dad jokes are fantastic. Oh, whether, I'll have the dad you're jokes. A dad yeah. or not, dad <laughs> jokes are fantastic. Hundred um, percent. One of my favorites. One of my favorite little story dad jokes is uh, a daughter comes running in to the living room where her father's sitting holding a piece of paper. It's a list. And uh, it's a list of chores that she's got to do. And she just looks at her right. dad, rolls her eyes, and goes, oh, God, Dad, I can't even. Her dad <laughs> calmly turns to her, puts his book down, and says, That's okay. Those are odd jobs. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's always been my favorite. <laughs> uh, I'll tell that one. I'll tell that one. Yep. Well, you can have it. <laughs> I bet. Sh- 
Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. I'll, I'll be sure to let everyone know that that came from you once after um, everything's done. I, man, I, once I turn it on, I'm sure I can just whip out a bunch, but you have fun with that. You have fun oh, with yeah. That. Oh, I, I will, for sure. How about you? What's going on with you? Well, so this week I've really actually been trying to dive into more of, um, you know, mixing or combining the, the whole diet with the workout thing and really getting it right, really nailing it down. You know, I did try the experiment right. with the HelloFresh thing, mixed results there. Now what I'm really trying to do is just like kind of applying, you know, some of the available research that's out there that you can kind of look up for yourself and, um, you know, work out for yourself. You know, everybody, everybody's body is different. We process things differently. We lose weight, gain weight differently and, and so forth. But there's a lot of stuff out there that is just rampant misinformation so it's been interesting for me trying to like go through and I've been challenging myself to kind of learn so I can understand, so I can make my own nutritional plans and stuff, you know, like there's so many right. things out there that, you know, they advertise themselves as, you know, the one stop quick fix, you know, someone else telling you what to do, taking all of your, your critical thinking away, you know, just, just someone telling you what to do right. all the time. And I'm rapidly discovering that's like one of my pet peeves, I think, like just just people just telling me like, you don't expect me to do any kind of research, any kind of investigation on my own. You just you just telling me and I'm just supposed to trust that whatever it is, right. you know, is correct. And so, you know, I've been applying that a whole lot to uh, the foods that I eat and, and when I eat and, you know, cheat days and all the other kind of stuff. And it's actually while while definitely tedious and, and sometimes challenging, it's actually been like you know, kind of fun, kind of cool to like get into understanding what your macros are, right? And what your ideal weight is for your frame and how you determine some of that right. stuff. And then, you know, how the different body types, you know, kind of play off of each other and, and things like that. So that, in addition to, of course, doing the workouts and battling going either early in the morning or mid-afternoon or whatever it is, has kind of been my main focus, which um, is why the fact that school uh, – ends in 19 days um <laughs> totally took me by surprise when i found that out so now for the first time i'll be planning my first summer at, <laughs> with my kid at, at a school and trying to figure out what the heck we're gonna do for the next two and a half months so um yeah yeah i'm sure she's gonna be so thrilled at all the days that i have to work um you know <laughs> but i hope i could come up with different ways to make things fun and entertaining for the time yeah. so but I guess she's not quite old enough yet for like camps quite well yet. see you know I, yeah. I wondered about that too and i don't even know where like if they even still do camps and stuff you know i know the ymca um i did check them out and they've got like a limited you know quote unquote camp thing that they're doing but it's like from nine to twelve in the morning and you know, it's, it's not exactly the most convenient thing, especially for parents who, you know, you have to work at seven right. or eight in the morning, you know, how to get yeah. your kid there and back while you're working and everything else is, you know, which I don't understand why people, why places do things like that. Like, I, I mean, I guess if you have like a limited staff or finances or whatever, maybe, but the true benefit and the true draw for parents is you keeping the kids out of their hair while they get their day done right work whatever it right. is getting all the stuff done so when you have programs right. that are either like square in the middle of the day and only for like two hours and then are and it's only like maybe one day a week or three days a week no real draw no real draw there so yeah so i'm gonna keep looking around i think she is still even if they had him i think she's still too young to do like what do we call him when we were little 
what are they, what are they called, like sleepaway camps? Yeah, like I was thinking camp. I was thinking of like literally going to camp, you know, yeah. being there for a week. Yeah, I, of course, I'm, I was like a middle school kid, yeah. for like the or like fifth grade or so, for the one I was thinking yeah. of. I was like, yeah, she's probably way too young for that kind of yeah, camp. Yeah, she's but, a bit too young um, for that. Yeah. You know, just coming out of first grade, I probably wouldn't do that to her until like yeah, fifth, sixth grade maybe. And even then, it's right. got to be fairly close to me because I'm not going to deny that I am um, a bit overprotective with my kid, and I don't ever. <laughs> anticipate that ending no apologies no, no apologies <laughs> i am una- unapologetically overprotective um she's right. my one and only so everybody else is going to deal with it that's it right but yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> it would have to be somewhere where i could go quickly get there quickly and, and then i'd be okay right gotcha but anyway we're not here to talk about oh. camp and other things like that we are here to talk about star trek deep space nine and uh, some other yeah. stuff in the greater trek verse when we get to it but as always, David, do you want to give a recap this week, or did you want me to? Sure. No. Okay. I can do it. I'm happy doing it this Fire time. Away. I don't know who did it last yeah. time. I'll go for it. All right. So we start this episode whispers with O'Brien, Chief O'Brien, uh, on a runabout, the Rio Grande in particular, and he is escaping DS9. Uh, he tells us he's going to the Parada system at maximum warp, and that uh, he's he's making a personal log explaining what his what's going on. 52 hours ago, he came back from the Parada system to the station, but there was some, something was strange. Things were wrong on the station. And so he's going to tell us via his personal log what he experienced. Uh, when he woke up the day after coming back from his trip, Keiko was not in bed, and she acts strangely and distant to him uh, during their morning routine. She's up way earlier than normal, claiming that she has to do things like study or uh, uh, read some uh, essays for her school. Uh, for the students, and that she's going to take Molly to class. And Molly responds very negatively to him when he says, how are, how are you? She tells him to go away. And Keiko tries to play it off as she's just a kid. Don't worry about it. Um, so he's kind of, eh, things are kind of weird, but nothing too much. When he goes to, um, on the way to the prom, uh, to the to ops, he sees one of his uh, security officers, or one of his officers, already working on some repair work um, for the uh, upcoming security conference that's going to be going on. It turns out that O'Brien had been in the Parada system because he was sent there to help negotiate um, a security conference between two sides of a civil war in the Parada system. So he's the one who came back supposedly with all these really detailed Things about what the security would need to be for this conference, um, and suddenly he seems to be out of the loop. They're already making changes to the security protocols, but he wasn't notified, so he goes to Cisco, and, and Cisco immediately says, oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I went ahead and told them to make changes. I didn't notify you. That's on me. I apologize. But in the meantime, I actually need you to go work on the three pylons up uh, to the the, nor- uh, the upper pylons. All three of them are down. And O'Brien's like, what? I just like fixed them last week, and they're suddenly all down? What's going on? So he's very... I mean, something strange is going on. While he's in ops, Dr. Bashir is suddenly like, I need you to come right within an hour to come get a physical. You've been putting me off for a long time. And, you know, O'Brien doesn't like Bashir, so he's already been trying to put it off. But Cisco says, look, Bashir has to do this within a 
week. Uh, sorry, with, yeah, he has to turn his and his report within a week, so he needs you to go ahead and get that done. Uh, so go do it. And O'Brien reluctantly goes and gets checked out. And he's given Bashir a hard time, but Bashir gives him a clean bill of health and says, you're fine, you're good to go. And so uh, O'Brien goes and works on the pylons. And as he's working on the pylons, he begins to realize that you know, someone did something intentional to break these pylons. Like, the, the the damage that was done to the pylons is something that's very hard to get to and out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems intentional. And when he goes and leaves his job on the pylons to go supervise or at least check in with his subordinate about the security preparations, his subordinate says, oh, you know, it, uh, things are already complete. You know, everything's done. Only Kira has access to the room now because we're keeping everything, you know, all you know, locked down before everyone arrives. And O'Brien tries calling Cisco, or trying calling Kira, that is, to get permission, but Cisco tells him to leave it alone, go work on the pylons. But when O'Brien goes to leave, he looks back and sees that his subordinate enters the room. So he was lied to about all that. So O'Brien goes to his room and waits till Keiko falls asleep and starts investigating the personal logs of everyone else on the station for the past week Mm -hmm. and he's able to listen to everything up until a certain date and suddenly he is no longer allowed access on a certain date the computer says you are no longer allowed to have access but o'brien being the skilled uh technician that he is is able to get around the blockage on his uh permit on his uh, clearance and he's able to listen or to find that there are new logs that would had come in from the sector that he had come from, the Parada sector or system. So he realizes that something's going on. He's being kept out of the loop. The messages that he over he listens to don't have any details in them because it seems like whoever was blocking his access was concerned that he might still get access and listen in. So at this point, he realizes something is strange. Um, Jake, you know, he tried talking with Jake, and Jake... Uh, was originally fine, but now Jake won't come talk to him anymore. And he um, is upset. He's like, something's wrong. So Odo, who had been away from the station for a while, comes back to the station, and O'Brien goes to Odo and says, hey, look, there is something strange going on. I need you to help investigate and confirm for me that something strange is happening. And Odo is like, great. You know, I thank you for bringing this to me. I will be happy to look into this. And later, when O'Brien goes to Odo's room to his security room suddenly odo has set up a trap for him and there's cisco and kira and bashir to stop him and o'brien being the smart technician that he is is already jury rigged a little device that he uses as kind of like a flash grenade to stun everybody and he makes his escape to the runabout uh he uses a um he uses the runabout to go to the wormhole after he tries contacting the Admiral from the Federation. The Admiral says, return to where you came from. And O'Brien is like, have they even infiltrated all the way to the Federation? What is going on? Um, Cisco tells them to return, but he says, I've already disabled the tractor beam, so you're going to have to let me go. So he goes to the wormhole, and he's being followed by the other runabout. That's basically where we started the episode. So now O'Brien is trying to escape the second runabout and realizes that as soon as he comes out of warp speed, the others will be able to easily catch up to him. So in the Parada system, he does some smart maneuvering to uh, hide himself 
and sees that the other uh, runabout goes to the Parada 2 planet. And he follows it there, and he lands on the planet, and he finds Sisko, Kira, and Bashir with two of the Paradins. And he disarms them all, saying, I'm going to figure out what's going on. I don't know why you guys are acting strange or why you're conspiring with the rebel group. But the rebels say, wait, we have something to show you. As soon as we show you what this what we have over here, you'll understand everything. O'Brien is initially hesitant. He doesn't think that he thinks they're trying to distract him, but he is distracted long enough for one of them to shoot him and knock him down. And the door opens and reveals O'Brien. There's a second O'Brien. And then we are the revelation is made. The O'Brien we've been following this entire episode is actually a clone that was made by the government of the Paradin Civil War. And they had programmed this clone version of O'Brien, they presume, to sabotage the um, meetings. The, the security meetings were, pro- were supposedly going to be going all well and dandy until O'Brien was with his pre-programmed uh, was programmed somehow to you know, assassinate everybody. That's what they think happened. And so the clone O'Brien dies saying, tell Keiko, I love, and he can't finish the sentence before he's dead. And the real O'Brien is uh, kind of left standing there with the other, with everyone else and the dead O'Brien on the floor. So, yes. yeah. So a lot going on here in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I hope of, I got through that quickly. Yeah, yeah we got going we quick. Yeah, not a problem. Um, but before we get into any of that, I just have to ask, since this is the first time. Now, for, a couple of questions. One, you've never seen this episode before, right? No. All right. Yeah. So, as a first-time viewer, what did you think of the episode? Like overall, when it finally got to the end, what did you think? I thought the explanation of O'Brien having been cloned was great. I didn't. I didn't anticipate that. I figured that O'Brien was going to be our hero of the story and was going to find that some spiritual entity had somehow affected everybody. That's that's what would have happened on TNG. You know. Um, there are plenty of episodes on TNG, for example, where one of our crew members is um, the only one that knows the truth. There's like the one where Dr. Crusher um, is in like a weird alternate reality, but it turns out to be like in her own head where everything starts shrinking. If you remember, like the universe yes. collapses down. and um, she accidentally created and she was trapped in. Exactly. Yeah. So stuff like that. I figured it was something like that. O'Brien is our main character. He knows the truth of what's happening. Everyone else around him has been subtly affected by something and he has to figure it out. So the revelation at the end that he is not the one that was right, that even though he was acting heroically, it was actually because he had been programmed to, uh, to act against uh, the interests of the Federation in a sense. I mean, he doesn't do anything out, outright wrong, but um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting episode, interesting twist. I thought it was an overall good one. I didn't anticipate it. And thought it was a good one. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, when I first saw it, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, This is one of those episodes that definitely on your first and probably your second time through, you can really enjoy. But after that, once you've seen the episode so many times, it kind of one of those (laughs) that, unfortunately, you... You skip. I've seen it. I can move on. Because the episode relies so heavily on you, the audience, 
not knowing a lot of things. You're put in O'Brien's right. shoes from your from his perspective. You're seeing everybody else also behaving strangely, and you're thinking kind of the same thing that he is that something must have happened to right. them, something must be affecting them, and it's up to dear old O'Brien to figure it out, right? So you know right. that works again. First time watching, yes, definitely. Second time probably but after that you're just like you already know what happens this is a now becomes a skippable episode because again it doesn't right. other than that it doesn't do anything for us it doesn't advance the story of any of the characters right it doesn't advance right. the personality of o'brien anyway because that's not really o'brien you know so it, yes so this is one of those that while written well i feel and enjoyable it does nothing it goes nowhere so yeah, it's I would I'd say it's fair. Even like the Doctor Crusher episode I just mentioned, that's another episode where as soon as you know what the what's going on, it doesn't advance much of the plot in any way. I guess you could say that you know Wesley Crusher learning things kind of, um, but yeah. Um, what's what is nice about this episode though is that it it does show that O'Brien is is a smart guy and he can yeah. see that things are going yeah, on. That's... He can tell that Keiko's acting yeah. strange. He can tell that Cisco's acting strange. Um, he was very, he was yeah. very observant throughout the entire process, and it kind of gets you into that, right. you know, thinking of your, you know, of yourself a little bit. Are you that observant of the people in your life that you can tell almost instantly that something is different? Like he picked up on, on Keiko and Molly being different almost instantly. Like that was like the first thing that we yeah. saw. So he knew something right. was up with them almost instantly, and then you know he was right. that set him on edge. He was kind of a little suspicious there, and then of course he's running into this ensign doing some repair work and then even his interaction with cisco he still seems very stiff and standoffish when cisco kind of just tells him oh you know that was my bad i dropped the ball on this one you know he really cisco does a right. good job of playing it off but at the same time like if you notice o'brien doesn't really relax he's just like yeah yeah and he even says i kind of feel like y'all were taking me out of the loop you know so it's just like he's right. intimating that he knows something is up so that's another reason why right. you know i also uh, enjoy this one you know, well, and it's it's it really just show that you know Cisco too. Like he has a certain way of acting. Like he he's not the type to forget to notify right. O'Brien. He's not the type to like ah don't worry about the security protocols. I need you to go fix the pylons. Like because right. again, O'Brien had been the one who had been right. sent o to the, was our the, point the man here. He was the one making exactly. the contact and doing the security checks and everything else. So for him to suddenly be shut right. out. And again, to there not to be any explanation for it also heightens right. his suspicions here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I like it was a good episode to see that um, even though this was a clone of O'Brien, and they they intimate this at the end of the episode when they reveal that he was cloned, that he's a he's not the real O'Brien. That he's not a. Clone, that's the word I could, I couldn't remember what it was. That's it, a replicant. Yes. Yeah, but they the the rebel. Paradins say that the government, the ones that cloned him and made this replicant version of him, they're really good at this. Like they can make like that's why Bashir was doing the physical was to test him as trying to find a way, a reason to kind of, you know, take him out of commission in a sense. Like, oh, sorry, O'Brien, but we just saw your test results and they're negative for something or other. We need to, you know, confine you. No, that. He couldn't do it. Bashir couldn't come up with a legitimate reason. Um, and they're only – they assume that what would happen is that O'Brien would suddenly act out in violence during the you know the, the conference. Um, 
but they don't have any proof of that. Um, and it's not clear. I mean, when the when the one Paradin shoots the O'Brien clone at the end, it's it's not clear if he shot him with like a you know kill shot or a stun shot, yeah. or if it's like the clone was like you know overwhelmed and like it it's dying. Yeah, but I think we can kind of infer it, there that that was a kill shot. I think that was the point because there was such an intense right. fear of these replicants, you know, and the, and the Fair dangers enough. that yeah. they posed. That even though from what we had seen. This was probably a perfectly good, viable O'Brien. He hadn't acted out in any way. He was, you know, right. being a hero in his own right. You know, um, and right. I think it's kind of just inferred that that shot was definitely designed to kill him. So, well, it certainly is what seems to be the main reason for why he just ends up slop, you know, uh, on the ground, dying. Mm -hmm. It is. It's never certainly intimated that. Oh we somehow caused the clone to self-destruct and it's dying. It's like, nope, he, he was killed by the kill shot. Um, it does, unfortunately, though, mean that we never get a chance to see, I mean, the two O'Briens really interact much other than briefly O'Brien, the real O'Brien, realized that something had happened. Um, but, yeah. Huh. Well, this episode also begins the a, a series of events that has now lovingly been called O'Brien Must Suffer. So, so is this, this the is first the one first episode <laughs> in which we see O'Brien put through, you know, his psychological paces here. He's being tested to the limit, uh... you know, and um, yeah, this is the first time we see it. And apparently, uh, as I said, you know, the episode did very well. And this begins the pattern. This sets off the chain of events that we're now going to see in the future that basically anytime O'Brien is prominently featured, he is suffering in some regard. So this is it. <laughs> um, this episode also featured right. uh, new runabouts, which I'm always so excited about. So we got the Rio Grande and the uh, Mekong were the two that were featured this time. So I just, again, I don't know why. Like once I figured that whole thing out about they were being named after Earth's rivers, I, I just became obsessed. And I was like, I just want to, I want to know all of them. And I would look them oh, up. Oh, it's rivers. Yes. Okay. It's all famous gotcha. rivers. There. So, yeah. Um, um, let's see. I don't know where the Yangtze Kian River is. I'm assuming it's somewhere in Asia. So that gives me like a, Sounds yeah, like it it. Gives me yep. a very large area that I can search to find <laughs> it for sure. But yeah, so that was right. another one. So we've seen, yeah, the Yangtze Kian, the Rio Grande, the Rio Grande and the uh, Mekong have all debuted. We still have a couple more. Gotcha. My favorite one has not been shown yet, but it's coming, and I can't wait. So we'll, we'll have to use that as a the time to explain where all these rivers originate, so yeah, we can yeah, that's what I'll explain do. Time, like what what's yeah. this yeah By the time that they finally little history lesson. My, my favorite one. We'll do a little history ge uh, geography lesson and show you where Great. where the rivers are located. So um, sounds like a that sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah. Not quite a 90s moment, but something oh, similar. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> so in this episode also features uh, another unique thing, which we've talked about a lot. You know, we're always asking for more Dax, and it seems that we get less and less Dax. And in this episode, we got no Dax. So they were just like, oh, hey, we know you like hearing about this, this character. We're going to take him. That's it. Yeah. I, I have to say, just, just briefly, as you mentioned that, like as I was recap recapping the episode in my brain, I was I was like artificially putting Dax in scenes, <laughs> like on the promen on the on uh, in ops or at the very end when they're uh, revealing that O'Brien was been cloned. Like as you might remember, as I was saying it, you might remember I said Cisco, Kira, and Bashir. 
But like I fumbled it. I almost said Dax before I said Kira. I was like, nope, nope, Dax wasn't there. (laughs) And it would have made perfect sense. Like she would have been a great person to help figure out what's going on. But for some reason she wasn't part of it. And you don't always expect Dax to fall in lockstep behind uh, Cisco, you know, like kind of off to the side by his shoulder or something like that. Um, I guess in a weird way, kind of like um, Kirk and Spock, the way right. it used to be. Like there was always, you never saw one really without the other kind of shadowing, you know, a right. little bit. But I mean, I guess they were trying to make some differences. And then of course, you know, she, she is not the first officer. Kira is. So that's another thing too. It's kind of like we forget that it's really Kira who is the first officer sometimes because the way that, their whole the whole group dynamic just seems to be a little a little bit more fluid than in some of the other Trek shows that we've seen, especially in comparison to again Next Generation and uh, the original series. They were much more precise and militaristic in how right. they did things. Yeah, so. yeah. It's too bad she's not here. Um, is, do you know? Is there an explanation why they don't have Dax? Not the really. Not really. I just feel like this is one of those situations where there everything is still fairly new the actors are still trying to get themselves sorted because they're now on a regular show um they might also be trying to do some some work elsewhere you know and they had just a lot of restrictions placed on them too like when you're a a member of an ensemble cast even when you're not necessarily in the episode they still had to be there they still had to show up and you know in most cases even still do the makeup knowing full well they were not going to be in but maybe two minutes of a scene you know so no, but there's no real explanation as to why she is not there. It's just um, another thing of them just not knowing how to use yeah. Dax. Well, I, f- I feel like on one hand, she could have been a good replacement for O'Brien in this episode as the character we were following. Other than the bit about Keiko and Molly and that relationship, that wouldn't have been there if we had used Dax. So that would have been lost. But otherwise, she could have been their character if we could have followed. Um, but then... Like when o- when o- Odo came back on the station, um, I just I just looked it up. You know, it's it's just a Bajoran transport that he comes back to the station with. When they were first, when Odo first came off, I thought in, while I was watching it that maybe he had been the one who went to go visit the other group in this little civil war. Like he was the other contact yeah, there, I could see um, that. I which could would see have that. helped explain why at first. If, if, if things were the way O'Brien, the fake O'Brien, thought they were, he could have explained, oh, well, I was just with the other group. I don't know why you're having all these weird things. Like, I I, I thought the way this episode was going to go was that while O'Brien was away, some other reason for why things were strange was happening, not in relation to the Civil War and the negotiation that he was helping negotiate himself, the, the whole security. I thought that was going to be its own thing. That had kept him away when something happened on the station and him being back was compromising whatever nefarious thing was trying to accomplish something on the station. That's how I expected the episode to go. And then when Odo shows up, the two of them, having been away, would be able to work together to figure out what was going on. So they they turned things on on its head for my under, expectations of what was going to happen, um, which was great. Uh, the whole scene where he goes in to see Odo and Odo is also been changed <laughs> that's, right. that's great kind of a kind of a inv- invasion of the body yes exactly right? he, he thought he thought he had an ally and then all of a sudden he's just like asking him more exactly questions else. so you know kind of giving himself right. away yeah definitely um, they got to you definitely too. gives you that 
yeah, that tension ramps up the tension, the tension a bit because especially with again, it's Odo, one of my favorite characters. So it's just like you always expect him to be in on it, right? right? Like he's he's the indispensable right. man, and when he's already ready to jump to the chief's um, aid, you know, he's like, don't don't do right. anything. Let me investigate. Let me do that. You know. I loved it. I was like, that's right. Odo's on the right. case. And even if Brian says, he's like, I have to admit, I felt a lot better now that I had an right. ally in yes. the situation. You know, I was like, yeah, right. I was like, finally, things are going to make sense. Because again, we've been watching this the whole time from a Brian right. perspective. He is the outsider. Yes. In, and we do. And it's like, and it's, it's our man, yeah. Brian. We want him to have an ally. And when he finally gets one in Odo, we were like, I think everybody kind of was like, ah, oh, okay. Right. Odo's gonna give us that yeah. next deep level. He's gonna. He's gonna. Odo is the uncorruptible, then, unchanging. He might yes, be a shift, exactly. a shapeshifter, but there's a personality core to him that won't be affected. Yes. No, what happened to Odo? He's not the same. Right. Right. <laughs> How did That's they get right. to him Odo's so quickly? Man. He can do it right. <laughs> and now you're, and now you're just wondering. Well, if it can affect Odo, then it can. Be and then the admiral. Like, oh my God! How far oh, up the chain does yes. it go? Yeah. So it was just. Um, I would think I would have loved to see that kind of the twist because, you know, uh, Star Trek in general has done this kind of invasion from the others story a couple of different times. Uh-huh. Some culture or creature slowly subverting the Federation and rising in power. And then our heroes at the last minute put them down, or so it seems, and they disappear into the ether and we never see them right. again, right? So it's. I would have loved for there to be some kind of callback, follow up to any number of aliens that we had seen do this. You know, like season two of the Next Generation, um, the creatures that were, you know, had their little spikes on the back of their necks, uh-huh. the little beetle-like creature that you know they ate and got, you know, in their controlling their yes. minds and stuff. That would have been a great callback. The creatures from the other dimension who hijacked Riker and were doing experiments on him before, you know, and not letting him go to sleep yeah. and stuff like that. That, another exactly. great series of aliens, you right. know. Or even something with the aliens that they introduced, the Paradins, you know, like, I would have loved that that had been like, again, it was some other alien group that was actually experimenting on O'Brien, and the Paradins was like a crazy made up of his own imaginings, <laughs> alien, right. whatever that he was having to fight against to get out of this control or any number of things they could have done with this. But um, it's not to say that I don't like this. It's just that I, I'm a sucker for follow-up. I I would love to have some closure to some of these stories. And, you know, I guess that's just the thing with Star Trek though. Like they're notorious for not giving us closure on a lot of things. I mean, heck I've been a fan for 30 plus years and Picard and Beverly still aren't together. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why I have many expectations of them finishing right. the storyline. Yeah, it's- well, I, as I was thinking, like, what was I expecting this episode to be like? And as I was talking just now, like, I thought that the whole thing was going to be a distraction from the truth that the the station had been infiltrated somehow. And I was thinking, like, what am I thinking of? I'm like, oh, wait a minute. It's the episode Conspiracy for the Next Generation, where it turns out that these alien creatures have infested the people. Uh, you kind of alluded. That's what I was just yeah. talking about. Yeah. That yeah. episode is the most graphic <laughs> episode in all of Star Trek I've ever seen. Um, and I, I, when you were saying it just now, I was actually thinking of the, the movie, the Star Trek movie, where they briefly put something in, like, someone's ear, I think, to, like, make... That's the Wrath of right. Khan. And he puts the 
Um, it's a yeah. shrug, and it goes into Chekhov and um, the captain. Well, they also do it, I think, to uh, Captain Pike at the beginning of the the rebooted Star Trek movie from like two thousand nine or whatever. Yeah, they put. They, yeah, they put like it goes in his in his mouth. Right. Though. They put like it goes through his mouth, not in right. his ear. And I think that it was supposed to be some kind of similar right. creature. They just um, don't really go very right. far with that. And apparently, Pike is fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean he doesn't yeah. die basically, and he's not he's not taken right. over in any way. Gotcha. Him, so yeah. Well, yeah. So basically, that's the kind of thing I was thinking of. Like that's what the what's going on, and that's what it had possessed or caused people to change. Is that's something to that effect? Again, I didn't think of it as a physical manifestation. It's more like a like a spirit type. If energy being had affected everyone like that episode from season one of, of deep space nine yeah. or like kira and who was it with cisco yeah kira and cisco are affected by those energy orbs and now their personalities change yeah. like i thought it was something like that um but well i think that's probably why they didn't do that because it's like they've already kind of right done that in, smart in, well not even kind of they did <laughs> yeah. do that in the first season and even then you know like even that episode was more like an amping up of their internal states you know just kind of their worst personality traits really just kind of blown out of proportion right. there. This was, you know, definitely a more personal um, O'Brien's feeling betrayed by right. everyone, even his, you know, his wife and kid, right. you know, and just having to having to deal with that. Um, once again, we had the fantastic Rosalind Chow as Keiko yes. O'Brien in this right. episode. We don't get to see a whole lot of uh, right. Keiko. Um, in in Trek in general, so it's always nice when right. she's there. And I Molly, think, we yeah. had the little, we had the on. young Molly yeah, there, little Molly. You know, I love that little actress. I think she adds a she lot. She was so cute. She's yeah, like, I, think, I don't like yeah. you. Go away. <laughs> it was so cute. <laughs> I, think, I think I think she adds. I think they both both Keiko and Molly add a bunch to the more personal elements of both O'Brien's story and of Deep Space oh, yeah. Nine. You know, we, we know that it's this very kind of depressing place, right. you know. And yet here they are trying to, like, eke it out, be a family, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then we have episodes like this one where Keiko's very cold. She's very distant. She seems just borderline upset, you know, even to the point where at one at one point O'Brien, our, our replicant anyway, is questioning whether or not she might have yes. him. She it's the one him, scene I did pass over stew. in my break. Yeah, yeah she, she made his favorite stew. And yet he couldn't bring himself to put not even one yeah. bite into his right. mouth because there was just something about her overall demeanor that was just well, like... Well, yeah, she was cold no. to him physically. He tries kissing her and she's not kissing him back. And yet she's also feeding him his favorite meal and she won't eat it either. Right. Even though she doesn't like it, she usually kind of puts up with it. But no, she's just wanting a salad. She had a late lunch. Like, she keeps giving excuses after excuses after excuses. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, it turns out that the O'Brien Keiko relationship was already so tight, as we've seen in previous episodes, that when there's a deviation, yeah. O'Brien, even a clone version of him, is able to sense a problem. And um, well, and I was just gonna say, you know, because considering this episode follows Armageddon Game and how competent Keiko was in her knowledge of yeah. her husband, right? And then we come to this episode where once again the first thing that really ticks O'Brien off that there is something wrong is. Keiko, not the station, not any of the other officers on the station. It's his interactions with his right. wife that first get him suspicious. So once again, it's just like these two 
clearly have a great relationship. Right. She is so confident in her knowledge of him. He is so confident in her, his knowledge of her. He's like, that's not my Keiko. That's like, that's even what he says. He's like, I don't know who that woman is, but that's not yeah. my Keiko. You know, so it's just like they, again, I love the fact that these are these two characters that I feel like their relationship is very underappreciated right. because like their whole thing is built on intimately knowing right. one another, right? They, <laughs> they understand not just their quirks and moods and little habits about coffee drinking or whatever. Right. But I mean, just a glance, just a look, just the stiffness and her hugging him or not kissing him or kissing him part way, or even making his favorite meal was enough. Like yeah. some people, if someone surprises them, a significant other, a loved one surprises them with their favorite meal, they're going to wolf it down. They're not going to think yes. twice. It's my favorite meal made by this person who I love and who says they love me. And I have no reason to doubt right. it. Not O'Brien. Yeah. He was already suspicious. He was like, I don't know who you are, but you're not my wife, and I'm not right. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. You all can you all can get out of here with that. Yeah, he says, um, she wasn't she's not my Keiko. Which is actually an interesting question. Like, if how well, I guess it really she's not his Keiko because she knows who he really is and therefore is being distant, because it's not that she isn't his Keiko, it's that he isn't her O'Brien. Her O'Brien. Um but yeah, I guess that just in that moment, yeah, she's not my Keiko. Like she doesn't say that about like the captain. That this is not my captain. This is not uh, my Bashir or anything like that. It's no, this is not my Keiko. Um, yeah, and it's it is funny you mentioned that you know in the last episode, you know it was the whole, you know O'Brien doesn't drink coffee, which turns out at the very very tail end of the episode he goes actually I drink coffee in the afternoon, and she goes what. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they know each other, but they also still have things to learn about each other, and well, yeah. And then this whole episode, O'Brien is just pounding the coffee like it's that's right. Style. He, I mean, when the episode first starts, he's ordering a rack, uh, he's ordering coffee on the right. runabout, and then in the in, like later on, as we're watching him as he's retelling us his story, he drinks at least two, maybe it, three. It, it might be even four coffee. times. Like he says it so many times, yeah. and uh. So I know he drinks at least two cups of coffee in his quarters, and I think he gets another one with Quark. Right. So I, that's why I was thinking it was – and then, of course, we see him with the one in the runabout. So that's four cups of right. coffee we see him consume through the course of exactly. this episode. For a man who is has, is on a strict regimen, doesn't drink after a certain time yeah, or whatever. It's, he, uh, he yeah, it's the lot. Jamaican blend, double strong, double sweet. And I was expecting at the end of the episode when they revealed that he was a replicant that they were – going to insinuate that something about the coffee was somehow keeping his artificial body alive. Like they they had also somehow, you know, if, cause they overplayed their hand with the coffee. Maybe they that. Over, yeah, exactly. There was something much. there. You saw it so yeah. much, right. That it, it made you think that maybe there was something more to this coffee. Well, that's my point. We hadn't seen him drink it. Well, so yeah, much. it's like, for me, I thought they were going to be saying that, um, we realized there was a problem with you when you started ordering it wrong or you ordered it so much or it was always this specific – like you didn't – like Keiko knew that that wasn't his specific version of coffee even. Like that's what really mm-hmm. – like they had been informed that the O'Brien that was coming back to them was not real. But they, it was the coffee that really proved it to everybody. But they, did, they uh, didn't say like, that. So I was – it's the like they planted right. a seed – yeah, they planted it. a seed in the story that I thought was going to be paid off somehow but never gets any sort of explicit – Hey, the coffee actually had a meaning to it. Nope, it's just this replicant really likes double strong, double sweet Jamaican blend. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah, that's pretty much the again the the story of the Trek life. There is, is giving us a little bit more, and then through a series of editing cuts and rewrites and whatever else, the continuity gets thrown off because a great idea got dropped midway, and then there was a time to go back and film it and, and whatever. And everybody just said, "Oh, it's okay. No one will ever pay that much attention to this anyway." And they gave it to us, and then here we are. 30 years later and we are able to watch it on Netflix and pick up every single right. mistake and yeah. pick it apart. Yeah. So. Well, I, I guess too, it's also, if the idea is that he's called a replicant and therefore the replicator mm-hmm. is where he's always getting this coffee. Like, are we, are we insinuating then that the technology that is the replicator was also used in this case to replicate O'Brien? Is that maybe kind of what we're thinking here or? I mean, I guess, I suppose that on some level that's possible. I mean, it's just like we, I mean, obviously we don't have anything conventionally that comes close, I guess, except cloning, but cloning for us takes a very, very long time. We don't have fast-grown clones or anything like that. So this idea that we can or that they can in a relatively brief amount of time not only completely recreate this individual, but also their, their memories, their feelings, their thoughts on associations, knowledge, like all of it, um, to such a degree that we didn't recognize that that O'Brien was right. like, you know, that's what it was really about. Like he's so good. This copy is so good that no one knew what was up until the right. very end, you know? And I almost feel like too, there was some kind of, you know, he was malfunctioning in some way because we never see o'brien do anything to sabotage the station if anything he's trying to help everybody he's believing that they are the ones that are doing something wrong he wants to inspect the guy's work to make sure things yes again we never see him ever commit an act of sabotage so it's just like did they copy him too well and they've got these mannerisms down so well that this guy could have actually been an asset and maybe that's the reason why they shot him because like well we can't have can't have two great chief engineers running through right. Deep Space right. Nine, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we never see him commit any real crime or offense or anything like that, and so it's almost just like, you know, they don't—they never, they even said they don't know what his real mission was. Was he going to sabotage the talks? Was he going to assassinate someone? What was he going to do? We will never know, because as far as we could see, he was trying to save right. everybody in the right. situation. Yeah, and when he is up there on the pylons and he's working through what's going on and he realizes that this sabotage was deep. Like they had to really, he had to really work to find the problem and overcome it. And then later on when he is trying to find the personal logs, he says there are a bunch of traps sent set up that is to uh, stop him from accessing the information, but he was good enough to know how to do it. Yeah. Like this is not some replicant that was like, short in any way from the real thing um it really does i mean we've talked about how there were episodes in tng where like you know there was there was cloning a little bit yeah um but we've never i mean correct me if i'm wrong but there's never really been an episode that really fully embraced that idea am i am i wrong there no no in most cases anytime that cloning of any type is Uh used it's often frowned upon right you know, it's uh, it's it's not a very comfortable thing for the person being cloned, and then the implications behind having a clone up and running, and being, again, perfectly identical in every way is unsettling. Yeah. 
And I think that this goes back to, you know, storyline conventions about the uniqueness of the individual and that being, you know, totally, you know, um, violated here with the creation of a perfect duplicate in any regard, you know. So I think that's why we keep seeing that all the time come up in sci-fi in general of this, of these, of these clones and how they're always negative. I think it would be interesting to see a show that embraced it. You know, somebody was accidentally cloned, right. and instead of trying to immediately find out one which one's the clone and which is the original, and then two kill the clone, maybe they have to just deal with the fact that there are now two perfectly. Holy crap! <laughs> I just realized there is a sci-fi show that did just yeah. that. Man, uh, sometimes I love my brain, sometimes <laughs> I hate my brain. Um, in this instance, the show I'm talking about is Farscape, sci-fi show from the early 90s featuring a ragtag group of aliens. There's our human who was um, sucked through a wormhole that put him out on the back ends of the galaxy somewhere. He's completely lost. And, his, and the whole show is basically about him trying to find his right. way home. Meanwhile, he's making friends with various aliens, stuff like that. And I believe somewhere around season two, season three, our main character, John Crichton, ends up getting doubled. Not cloned, right. doubled. And it's explained that it's he's perfectly... They're, they're both the same. They're both in every single way identical. And even to the point where there's a scene where they're trying to determine who's the real one and they're playing rock, paper, scissors right. of all things and doing it at the same time and both always hitting <laughs> the exact same yeah. thing. So it's just a never ending, you know, no way to tell who's right. different. And they handled this for quite a while. I believe that the third season of the show ends with one of the clones uh, sacrificing himself to save someone else. So no trying to kill him, no trying to constantly, you know, do tests and whatever else. No one gets locked right. away. But it was just, look, we got to accept the fact that there's two of you. And until something happens, we're just going to have to trust you and work with you. And then ultimately, one does die sacrificing himself to save gotcha. others. So very nice end. And yeah, very different from any way that I had seen um, cloning handled right. before. Certainly, Star Trek has never done it. Anytime Star Trek does anything cloning, it's you're the clone, you're the original, and you gotta <laughs> die. Like, figure it out. Figure yeah. it out. You gotta yeah. die. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think. I mean, at the moment, I just, I guess, I didn't give, I didn't have enough time to really think about whether sci-fi stories about cloning that really would stick out to me. I mean, uh, there's the movie The Island. It's you know a Michael Bay film, which comes to mind at the moment. Yeah, that was wasn't that you? And yeah, Liger Scarlett Johansson. That? Yep. Yeah, that's a fine movie in and of itself. It's a simple story about cloning. Um, spoiler alert: that one's about you know these clones are grown and they live lives, but they think they live in a post-apocalyptic yeah. world. Um, when it turns out that they're actually just being held because their originals need organ transplants and so they just grow a whole new version of you and transplant your organ from your clone um the perfect the perfect yeah or if you need a baby but you don't want to have stretch marks you have your clone carry your baby and then you get the baby and you kill the clone like pretty great pretty nasty stuff but i mean like they do a good job of doing it in a 
tasteful way for the for the film version but um th- yeah that explores cloning just any other stories i mean there's i know there's other things i could think of but just, for the moment just don't i don't have the time well i guess dune dune has golas um duncan idaho is a gola through most of the series stuff like that um but he can remember all of his past lives like that's the interesting thing about his cloning they don't ever clone them in terms of like there's two people it's like your body dies and they yeah. bring your body back to life with a clone version of yeah. you, but your clone remembers everything you experienced. And so like Duncan Idaho by the end that's has like, like thousands of years of lives that he can remember. So anyway. Well, and that's like, uh, you know, the Cylons from Battlestar, Galactica, ah. especially in the reimagined right. one, you know, they, um, they're replicas all the way through. And when they die, download into a yes. new body um and have all those memories of everything that happened to them from the past life right up to right. their death moment. So quick question on so, Battlestar. Um, I'm just going to sidetrack there. Why was there multiple of the various Cylons like if number 1 and number 2 and number 3 and all of them are are the same clone but they have multiple versions of themselves active mm-hmm. like they they their personalities clash at times like Shannon if I remember is it Shannon one of them and she has like she's number 4 or whatever is it Shannon? Is that the name of the one? Or so, four was Simon, and six was well. Six. Well, the one that's that sh- uh, she's the Asian one, the Asian chick, Sharon. Sharon. Okay, Sharon. But like, the there's one who like, like there's two of them. They had different personalities. Yeah. There was Sharon, and then there was a. Female. Yeah, but my point is, yes. is like if they are like they are clones, but like they also aren't because like they do have two separate storylines, yes. basically. So the so the from the way that I recall all of that, it was basically that up to a certain point, all the Sharons were the same until there was kind of this anomaly in the programming, right? And one was able to deviate right. from the rest of the line, okay. and then this kind of became like a theme of because she was considered the eights. Her model was called right. Eight. Um, so the eights all have this deviation in them, which allowed them to move out of the consensus of the other eights. Right. Right. And this is used later on in the story when another eight also changes her mind and sides with number one, Campbell, you know, and then there were the sixes who did the same, like there was one six that changed, but her change ends up prompting all of the other sixes to change. So they kind of all stay together, but the eights were the ones that kind of just started branching, could break yeah. off whenever they right. wanted to. And so it's never fully explained as to why, but it's more along the lines of because they are, their ultimate goal is to bridge the gap between Cylon and human. Right. And bring and about so a Cylon human baby or, yeah. Right. And they're getting closer and closer all the time. And that's another reason why her line is able to do this thing that none of the other ones can. And it's also her line, the eights, that give birth to the first Cylon human right. hybrid. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of things about that, though, that we, we can get into. Yeah, spoiler into. alert. Sorry Trust about that. <laughs> but uh, we'll have to save that yeah, one for like that's a, my bad. a Trek slash yeah. Battlestar after dark. <laughs> yeah, Dave. You guys are lucky. David almost started me down a whole other right. rabbit hole. We would have been there all night <laughs> talking about uh, Battlestar. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, just uh, even then, just the when looking at how clones are presented in major sci-fi things, they're not always regarded as positive. Right. Even when you were talking about the Golas in um, Dune. Yeah. Dune, 
they were not seen necessarily as altogether positive. Oh, no, definitely. They were on your side, yeah. sure, but, you know, there was always a bit of suspicion about right. them, um, you know, to a certain right. degree. So, yeah, I mean, again, just nothing about uh, cloning technology ever seems to bring about, oh, great, we can we can be cloned, this will be a fantastic thing, you know, and there's always the implications as to what to actually do with the clone. Are they sentient or not? Like, that's what the island yes. was really about. Like, did these clones really have rights, or were they just you know, organ yes. factories for the, the real right. Does the original there. person still so, have authority and, and, um, yeah. Can they terminate their own clone? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so there's a lot there that we haven't even begun to start to say for some, and, and it's funny because as our technology actually improves and our ability to do clones better and better improves, uh-huh. um, these are going to be very relevant right. questions. Like all the stuff that is far flung sci-fi right now, there will come a time when it will be, this will be the issue. This will be the thing dominating the news right. cycle. What to do with the clones? Do they have rights? Should we be cloning? You know, I'm sure that question came up when they first started really making any kind of real progress right. on Well, on I feel like we've talked about clones before and we actually didn't, did we have that conversation? Yeah. We talked about, yes, we talked about cloning all the way back in the first season because Odo was investigating the murder of that man, Ibudan. Yes. Um, and it turned out that Ibudan was not murdered, but Ibudan murdered Yeah, him. that was and like as, episode five. Odo's, or not even, yeah, like Odo three. Said, yeah, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and as Odo said, you know, m- murdering your clone is yes. still murder. So at least we know <laughs> at some point in the 24th century, they seem to have established that clones have rights. Yes. They have some rights. We don't know the full extent, but they have some rights, some protections, and this man's getting ready to go to jail for murdering his own clone. Right. So we knew that much. But yeah, I mean, it's just not something that's really given a whole deep dive. How would clones interact in society? Or how they're how would they be treated, viewed, all that kind of stuff? You never really see it other than it just being overwhelmingly negative. Yes. We don't really like the idea right. of clones. Seems to be right. the theme. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, before we wrap everything up tonight, I do have a couple of other updates I want to get through. Um, one, new Trek stuff. So Picard is almost done. Um, the most recent episode of that show uh, dropped not bad. I don't feel like they've kind of you know lived up to their explosive start of season two, but what we've gotten so far is still not bad. And I really think they shot themselves in the foot with their announcement of what's going to be in season three. Because now I'm like, <laughs> hurry up! I need you to get the surprised. They would already. drop a so trailer I'm, about season three before season two's finished. But okay, <laughs> right? They dropped it so early, like they dropped the the teaser trailer for season three, and they had just released episode two or episode three of season yeah. two so i mean it's just like wow you guys were were really jumping the gun maybe they're trying to gym up hype for season two like you got to watch season two because season three is coming out maybe that's the idea i don't know <laughs> maybe but now also in new trek news strange new worlds premieres this mm-hmm. week so i am so gotcha. excited i believe that that is thursday the um, fifth, I think is the first yeah. day. It's the first episode comes out. So once again, you'll be able to watch the latest episode of Picard, and then you get to watch the premiere episode of Strange New right. Worlds. And from what I've heard, it's fantastic. There are some people who, for whatever reason or ability, got early access to it or whatever, and they have just done nothing but rave about it. Gotcha. So I'm very excited to hear that. Um, 
and I'm going to try to keep it at that. I've tried to keep away from all spoilers, previews, commercials, all right. of it. Just just keeping a, a kind of finger on the pulse just enough to know when it's going right. to be released so I can watch it because I don't want to be spoiled by gotcha. anything else. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. No, still not watching Halo. <laughs> I've made my stance. Uh, I've planted my flag yeah. on this hill, and I will just. I did something similar. So I I tried watching the show Succession on HBO this past week. I forgot to mention that when we started the episode. Um, I did a three episode thing like you did, and I was like, I can't keep going. I don't like shows where I don't like the characters. Like there are no likable characters, which is kind of the point of this show. Is like everyone's kind of mm-hmm. awful. And I was like, I don't care then. I don't care if any of you are are successful or or all flame out and burn. I don't like them. I don't like the characters. Don't like the show. Stopped after three. So, yeah, there's my brief two cents on that. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who like it because apparently it's got a fourth season right now. It's already gone for season four. So it's got people who like to watch it, but well, not this one. <laughs> I mean, making it, to season, making it to season four is not necessarily a big deal because that tends to be when syndication Kicks in. Yeah. is, is right. possible. You know, it needs to get to at least four. So to me, yeah, I would just, if they make it to season six, then you may want to go back and examine it because it made it that far. But until they pass the season four hump, I, I just, <laughs> right. Yeah. If, especially if it's bad. If the show is bad, then I don't ever kind of go back to look at it again until it's past that season four bump right there. Um, so we'll see. You can just wait and see if that happens. That's kind of, I guess, what I'll end up doing with um, Halo. You know, seeing if it makes it to season five, five, and then maybe six. go back. I doubt that. I doubt right. that it will. I really do, unless they have some remarkable turns around turnarounds in the first season. Um, I don't see it getting a second because yeah. it's just it's just so dry. Yeah. It really is, and it's whole it's just inconsistent. They made up so much stuff. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. What's right. the point? What's the point? Alrighty. But all right, guys. Um, as always, we enjoyed having you here with us at the Fire Caves, a Star Trek New Space Nine podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook again as the Fire Caves. Pretty easy to find, and I promise you, it's a good time. But until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>